1: Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bucus Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling.
2: I want to share a word from the Psalms today, Psalm 51. Beginning at verse 1, God's word reads as follows. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need you that you might declare clearly a word here today that might be of great benefit to all those who have gathered. Father, speak a word that would draw someone out of the darkness of damnation into the marvelous light of eternal life. Father, speak a word that would cause your name to get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We are here to glorify your name. So let your name be glorified and uh, father in the process as I stand to be that vessel that instrument that you have assigned this assignment for today strengthen me and give me clarity of speech and thought that I might declare your word in a way that would be pleasing to you now Lord have your way open up every heart bind every demonic influence that would hinder us from hearing and responding to your word it's in Jesus name I pray with thanksgiving and expectation of what you shall do amen. This particular psalm is a psalm that the king of Israel, David, wrote. And he is believed to have written this in light of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, the king of Israel named David, who one morning when he was supposed to be at war, got up and walked out over the top of his Home looked over and saw a beautiful woman bathing and decided to send the invitation to her. Finding out that she was married to someone else, he continued to pursue, brought her over, summoned her, took her to himself, sent her back home. She sends a message that she's with child, and then he conspires to have her husband come home from war to lay with her so that confusion might be created that it was. Her husband's child, and not he is. her husband, being a faithful man towards the king and towards the kingdom, would not go and lie with his wife while the others were at war, and so therefore he refused. and as a result of his continued refusal, David, being in this kind of a binding situation, arranges with his captain of his army, Joab, that he might set up Uriah to be killed. Uriah is killed, and then as she brings forth the child, uh, there is a prophet by the name of Nathan who comes and gives a parable to David about a man who has everything but yet takes a poor man's sheep, and then he is upset about the whole story, the whole parable, and he wants to have that man killed. And Nathan responds, Thou art the man. Well, that's what he writes this psalm about. It's believe he's writing this psalm out of a repented heart. Out of a heart that says, not only am I embarrassed, but I'm shamed before God with my sin. Now, my objective today is really to cause us all to look at the brevity of life and the need that we have to be ready... When it comes to an end, because it's going to happen, it's inevitable, it it shall happen. And so as we look at that inevitability of death that is coming and life that is brief and understanding and realizing even in light of what David experiences, that David experiences the weight and the burden and the pressure of sin being in his face. And it is that sin that prevents him from having a right relationship with God. It is that sin that prevents him from having peace with the eternal and everlasting father. Prevents him from having the fellowship with God that he once had, the God who had anointed him king and put him in place and had done so many wonderful things for him and through him. It is that sin in his life that causes such trouble and such turmoil. And I believe as we look at this particular Psalm, just in part, that it'll share with us some necessary components to help us for restoration With God, because I believe when we breathe our last breath, when we have to, how do I say, meet our Maker, I don't believe any of us wants to go before God and try to have to have excuses for what we've done. And so I think it would behoove us to order our life, to order our circumstances that it can be said of us when we're stretched out or when we're spoken of. And and it's all said and done about us that we know one thing for sure about him or her, and that is that they made peace with God and their soul was at rest and in peace with their maker. I think more important than worrying about what other people will say about us when we're gone, because we do worry. I know, y'all, we don't want to say that we do, but we do worry. I think more important than that is I'm more concerned about what is he going to say when I'm standing before him. When I'm standing before God who knows everything about me, everything I've done, everything I haven't done. I'm standing before God who has all the authority in the world. When I'm standing before a God whose Shekinah presence is so powerful that every fleshly vessel is going to bow to him. When I'm standing before him whom before I cannot lie, when I'm standing before him is everything in order. Because guess what? As much as I can appease and please you all while I'm here, you can't put me in heaven or keep me out of it. But he can. So my objective in life is to please him. And I hope that that will be the same for you. As David finds himself in this precarious situation of sin and the weight and the burden of it bearing down on him, he pins this psalm of his hurt, his passion, his desire to be righted with God. And I want to use it just to talk for a little bit about the subject matter, wash me whiter than snow. If we want to be washed whiter than snow, in essence, when I say that, what I mean is that we want to be able to stand before God when it's all said and done, when all the the things of life are over. If I want to be able to say, Lord, I've been washed, I've been cleansed of all my sin. God, I'm straight with you. Everything is right. I have nothing else left to fix. If we want to be able to say that, the first thing I believe that this text kind of demonstrates to us is that we need to have what I see in the text as a cry of mercy. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I hear that. I receive that as a cry of mercy. Not only that, he says, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David is pleading with God. He's crying out to God to have mercy on me. Mercy is a word that speaks in essence of saying, Lord, hold back from me what I deserve. What is it, pastor, that we deserve? Well, according to the sin in our life, according to the sin that David is dealing with, he understands that the wages of sin is death. So I deserve to die. You deserve to die. We deserve death. The payment for our sinful life and the sin that separates us from God is death. Pastor, what are you talking about? Everybody's going to die. I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm talking about eternal spiritual separation from God. I'm talking about being at a place that nobody can pray you in. Nobody can pay you in. Nobody can please you in. I'm talking about once you breathed your last breath, you are spiritually eternal eternally separated from god that's the payment mercy says that's what you deserve but i won't give it to you david says i know this is what i deserve but lord please have mercy on me i love the way he says it even though these are just words you can almost hear the inflection of his voice the passion of his voice is even heard in the psalm and then he says look lord have mercy on me not on the basis of what i've done not because i deserve it but Lord have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of people are. I just believe the Lord's going to have mercy on me because I've been good. David doesn't ask for that. He doesn't say, Lord have mercy on me because I've been good. Not because I've been a member of somebody's church, not because mama was a deacon and daddy was a pastor and, and everybody around me was churchy. And I went to church or I hang out around the church. Then I says, you can't plead that mercy on those bases. It's not according to what we've done. When we talk about eternal life with God, it's not based on our deeds. It's not based on our works. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, salvation is a gift from God. It is not of works, lest anyone could boast. If we could work our way towards heaven, we can brag about it. But the scripture says, lest anyone should boast. We can't even brag about getting to heaven because we get to heaven by the grace of God. And the grace of God is when he gives me what I don't deserve, but yet mercy says he holds back what I do. David says, Lord, according to your mercy, that's what he's crying out for. This is a cry for mercy and let it be according to that. According to your loving kindness. I like this because David understands something about God. He knows that God is a loving God. Now, there's a whole lot of folk running around. Oh God is a loving God. He won't condemn anybody. Well, he doesn't condemn you. You condemn yourself by not accepting a free gift that he provided for you amen he's already done all the work already died on the cross already been stretched out already paid the price through his blood but yet when you deny that gift of everlasting life you condemn yourself yes Yes, he's loving but he's also a god of judgment and justice david says in essence god i know you are a loving god but i also know you to be a merciful god so lord according to the multitude that is the unending the depth and the uncountable mercies that you have, your tender mercies, Lord, let the mercy that you extend to me be according to that. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, he asked, he pleased, Lord, blot out my transgressions, blot them out. When I think of this whole idea of blotting out something, it's like, it's almost like absorbing something and and tapping it out so that, that it's no longer visible. Lord, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, from my sin. Lord, clean me so that when I stand before you in that day, that everything is right with you, that I am clean before you, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He's a cry of mercy. And what I love about David's cry of mercy in this psalm is not a generic cry of mercy. It's a specific one. He says, blot out my sin. Calls it what it is, sin. It's not my oops. It's not my French. You know how we say, excuse my French? Amen. So he calls it what it is. And we, too, have to learn to call sin what it is. And when we're pleading for the mercy, when there's a cry of mercy, if we want to be washed and be whiter than the snow, we've got to call sin what it is. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a liar. Lord, I'm a whoremonger. Lord, call it what it is because guess what? He already knows. All you're doing is reconciling it with yourself and acknowledging and cleansing yourself by opening it up and being honest before yourself about what you are and where you are. And so he says, look, therein lies, I say, this cry of mercy. If I want to be washed whiter than snow, if I want to be forensically cleaned by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there needs to be a cry of mercy. Secondly, in this text, I see a confession of sin. He picks it up in verse number three, and he begins to confess the sin directly. He says, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me one of the things that david declares in this text that i think that most of us live out and understand is that sin is always in front of us when we're living a sinful life as much as we have learned to attempt to cover it up sin is always present amen I realize when man first sinned, the first thing he did was cover up and he covered up in a way that was ridiculous God had created man, scooped him up out of the dirt, blew divine breath in his body, caused him to be a living being, and then, y'all know put him to sleep, broke off a rib from the rib, made a fine woman, gave the fine woman to him, and together he said, be fruitful, multiply, and then they went and disobeyed God in the garden, sinned against God in the garden, and then the first thing that they did was went and covered up with fig leaves. I mean, come on. You were created by an awesome God who had just spoke everything into existence, who had just brought all the animals and all the the trees into existence, who who had just formed and shaped everything, gave you breath, and gave you a woman out of your rib, and you're going to hide from him behind a leaf. But guess what? Our ridiculousness of hiding has not stopped. It's still ridiculous the way we attempt to hide the sin that's in our life because you can't hide from an awesome God. Just because you're in the back in the corner in the dark... God still sees it just because you make it look good on the front for everyone else. You can't disguise it from God. You're masking it from him. He can see everything. His eyes run to and fro. He sees everything. And so in David's case, he confesses his sin. I acknowledge my sin and my sin is always before me. And even in our cases, even when we're covering up sin, we're really feeling the guilt of it because the Holy Spirit is here in this world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and justice. So it's always before me. He says, I'm always struggling with it. I can't hide from it. I can't get away from it. Against you and you only have I sinned. God, the sin that I committed was against you and you only. Now, some might say, well, wait a minute, David, you sinned against Uriah too, against his family too, but you killed a man. Well, guess what? What David in essence is laying down for us is a a very elementary principle. When we sin, when we cross, when we transgress, what we're crossing, what we're transgressing, what we're violating is the standard that God set. Now let me help you with this one because we're living where right is wrong and wrong is right and governments are making their own rules and people are following along with them and they're adding to everything just to make everybody feel happy and comfortable but the word of God didn't come to make you comfortable it came to make you clean and so I need to articulate that just because man calls wrong right and right wrong doesn't mean God does God has set standards. And he set standards of what is right and what is wrong. And guess what? It doesn't matter if I don't like what he said. I'm still going to be judged by what he said. David says, I acknowledge my sin because my sin is against you. And he says, it's against you I've done this evil and I've done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Let me make something else very clear, David says. David says, I was born in sin, brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, what David says, and this ought to help us too, even if I hadn't done this thing, guess what? I still was a sinner and I still needed you. Because of Adam's sin, I'm a sinner because of his sin, because sin is in my blood. Because even as scripture says, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have a need for him. And so even if I haven't done nothing bad lately, or even if I compare myself to the guy sitting next to me and I'm not as bad as him, doesn't mean I still don't need you. And so what David in essence says, behold, Lord, I was brought forth in in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, I know you desire. I know what your desire is. So if I want to be washed whiter than snow, there must be a cry of mercy. There must be a, a confession of sin. We need to call sin what it is and acknowledge that we are sinners. But thirdly, if there needs to be a cleansing request of God. We need to ask God to clean, clean us. God, I need you. I need you to do this because as David says verse number 6, behold, I know you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom then he comes back and says purge me with hyssop and and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow and he goes on if you keep on reading you read his desire to be renewed and then that you will make gladness uh, come back to me and you know, don't hide your face from me but rather creating me a clean heart oh god and renewing me a steadfast spirit david's A request of God is that God, you would clean me and, and that you would make me whole. And what I love about this is David knows who to go to, to get this cleansing from one of the things. And I'll say this from theological perspective, even David doesn't go to the priest to ask him, how many Hail Marys should I throw up? He goes to God. Theologically speaking, the priest had a role of intercessor of sin for the people. In this day and time of the Old Testament, New Testament, Christ becomes our intercessor. He's our high priest. So now, instead of me going to them, I go to Christ because he makes my intercession. And so I can talk directly to God. I don't have to come to Pastor Sterling and say, Pastor Sterling, you were preaching today and you made me understand my sin. And I know I've come short of God. And so, Pastor Sterling, can you forgive me? I can't because I don't have that ability, but he does. And so when you finally acknowledge your sin, your requests for cleansing needs to come to him. You need to talk to him about it. And David says to, to the Lord, he says, "Look, purge me with hyssop." He's asking for a, a cleansing with hyssop. And 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 this this idea of cleansing with hyssop is that of of being washed or being thoroughly purged or purified. And in essence, for us today, it, that purification comes through and because of the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And so it is that blood that was shed on Calvary's cross that makes it possible for our sin to be washed away because God desired a sacrifice. Somebody had to die in order for mankind to be restored to a right relationship with God. Up until Jesus Christ, they offered bulls, they offered goats, they offered lambs, they offered turtle doves, they offered all kinds of sacrifices of animals in order to cleanse and to satisfy the righteous requirement of God. But herein lies the truth of the matter. A Hebrew says, I don't desire these gifts of oh, sacrifices of bulls, goats, and lambs, because they were never enough, they would never satisfy the righteous requirement of God. But this Christ... Offered his own life Once and for all I need a human life I need one Who is without sin And so Christ came Lived in the flesh 33 years Gave his life Died on the cross Shed his blood Took on the sins of the world And washed the sins away And then offers to us Righteousness And a right relationship with God And he says Look I'm offering you a free gift It's not going to cost you anything, but it cost me my life. And the reason why it it cost me my life, because somebody had to die, I had to satisfy what nobody else could. Nobody else would die for you, could die for you, and could satisfy the requirement of sin that was on your life. Muhammad came, he lived, he died. Guess what? If you go dig him up, he's still there. Buddha didn't never live, they just made him up, but he's just a dead god. Any other one, Scientology and, and any other thing that you can raise up, they're dead gods, but Our God, this Jesus Christ, he died not because of his sin, but because of our sin, because he took on our sin. Now, once he died, the reason why he didn't stay in the grave, because the sin that he took to the grave wasn't his. And so, therefore, death couldn't hold him. And on the third day, he got up with all the power and all the authority in his hand. So he has the keys to light. First John chapter 5 says, this is the testimony of God. He that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. These things I've written unto you that you may know that you have everlasting life. Yeah. Now I walk around thinking about it. Oh, maybe I do. Maybe I don't know that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the son of God. Clearest I can put the word of God for you today. We all have sin. If we want to be washed whiter than the snow. Guess what? We've got to ask God for that. Cleansing, we have got to ask God for that purification, and He freely gives it to whomever will ask. Whosoever will, let him come. Leave in your heart, confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and thou shall be saved. It's easy. It's simple. Well, Pastor, do I have to? Do I have to join a church? Do I have to? Do I have to go to a new members class? Do I have to? You know, speak in tongues? Do I have to fall on the floor? No, you ain't gonna do none of that. that, ain't, that at least I haven't seen it in the Scripture anyway. Not in the a- authorized Bible, so I haven't seen any of that. Uh, so no. You need to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that he died for your sin. Invite him into your heart. He'll come in and he'll save you. Nothing magical, nothing mystical. You ain't got to turn around three times. You ain't got to do none of that. Click your heels together. You ain't got to do none of that. Just invite him into your heart right where you are. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. There's nothing I can do to save myself. But, Lord, if you come in, I shall be saved. Invite him in. Ask him in. And he'll do it instantaneously and because i'm in my own building i can say this once you ask him in he comes in not with part of who he is but with all of who he is the fullness of the godhead bodily dwelling in you there's no second anointing there's no second fixing it's like oh you got a little bit of jesus but you need a little bit more no you get all of it that you need right then and there now, have, has it all activated in your life? Has all the power of God activated in your life immediately? No. That's the process of sanctification, of growing. And that's why in your life, in my life, in any snapshot along the way, we're not perfect. We're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. But that's the sanctification process. I and mean, the good news is God is so forgiving when we're in him. He has died for not some of our sin, but all of us. So when we're in him, we're washed whited in snow.
1: Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Bukus Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence. Hey, everybody. How would you
0: like to update your home with new carpet, hardwood, or laminate? Richard Carn here with Christine Polera for 50 Floor to tell everyone.